0: welcome to Adjusted. I'm your host, Greg Hamlin, coming at you from beautiful Sweet Home, Alabama in Berkeley Industrial Comp. And with me is my co-host for the day, Natalie Dangles. Natalie, do you want to introduce yourself for everyone?
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Natalie Dangles. I'm the Regional Resolution Manager in the Las Vegas office at Berkeley Industrial Comp.
0: I'm lucky enough that I get to work with her, so I'm glad to have Uh, her with me today and for people who don't know if you follow our blog Natalie's the one that's doing all the hard work behind the scenes on that so you'll recognize her from that we have a special guest with us today Andy Shockney, who's a professor at the Ohio State University and founder of Whatbox Consulting Andy if you could say hello to everybody
2: good afternoon Greg pleasure to be with you today
0: glad to have you Andy so Andy and I go back a little ways, but before we get to that, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about your story, Andy. How did you end up in consulting and teaching? And did you know, like, is that where you saw yourself when you were in kindergarten?
2: <laughs> well, no, I was either going to be James Bond or Neil Armstrong when I was in kindergarten, like <laughs> many. But uh, that did not work out, as as often happens. A default uh, to to uh, other things like business. I. Had a wonderful opportunity to do an internship my uh, senior year in college uh, working at Merrill Lynch. Totally got that getting to help people, to help themselves create a legacy, provide for their families was just magical. Absolutely loved that. So went on to do 10 years in corporate, working in banking. I'm a reform banker. Don't hold it against me, please. (laughs) I learned an enormous amount in that time, did my MBA while I was working there, and then 10 years working for entrepreneurs, which is really my strong desire to want to be an entrepreneur. I actually was running around at the banks, leading mutinies and uh, transforming organizations and kicking down walls and doors and creating centralized operation centers and and providing way more effective ways and efficient ways to provide services. And so uh, it's better to do that externally, not in big corporate environments, So 10 years working for entrepreneurs. And even that whole time, I was acting like a consultant. I always had wanted to be. I'd I'd worked with McKinsey and Nolan Consulting Group when I was at the banks. Loved that work. Wanted to do that for a living, but didn't want to have to travel around the country. And so thought someday I'll be able to do this, not just with entrepreneurs, but other Publicly traded in large companies here in Central Ohio, where I grew up, and uh, nearby here in Ohio, and uh, and so in 2016, after uh, locking in a strategic plan, I was leading a strategy and customer experience at a company called Thirty One Gifts here in headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. I went immediately into my boss, the CFO's office, and said, "This is what I want to do. This is absolutely it. I hope you'll continue to be a client, which Thirty One was." And I want to go find other clients and do that, continue to do this. And I think of the teaching that I get to do. I teach the two marketing capstone classes at the Ohio State University. I think of that as really my way to give back. I love the opportunity that keeps me young to work with students. That are such so brilliant. They're so full of so many great ideas. And they are a captive audience, Greg. They'll listen to my crazy stories.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Well. I love your story and, and how you got to where you are now. Before we get too far into this, I want to kind of connect how Andy and I met. So, you know, for those who don't know, I'm going to reveal a secret about myself. I'm a huge uh-huh. nerd. <laughs> so, so I love uh, board games and Dungeons and & Dragons. So I'm out now. Uh, everyone can hear my secret. And so anyway, I go to a couple of these big gate conventions and I actually met Andy playing Dungeons and Dragons, believe it or not, not through business connections, even though we're both in the financial sector. So interestingly enough, that friendship that, you know, we met maybe once a year to play, play some games took me to 2018, which I think a lot of people can relate to this and have been through this experience where. Your career is going amazing. You're doing everything right. And you come into the office one day and find out, wait a minute, I don't have a job. And so I went through that in July of 2018. And going through that experience, the first thing I did was start to reach out to people, everybody. And, and you know, it's interesting, having gone through that, I, I contacted everybody I knew on Facebook, anybody I knew from my professional career. And each morning, I'd spend three or four hours networking, just reaching out to people. To see who might know an opportunity that I might not know of. So eventually, as I got through the the normal circle of people I reached out to, I I thought, well, I'm going to reach out to the next level, and reached out to Andy, and he responded. Of all the different people that I reached out to, which is interesting, because I even had like best friends from high school that, like, two years later, I went to go message, and I saw my last note to them was like asking them. You know, if they knew any opportunities, I was like, wow, they like totally never even answered. Uh, but Andy did. So I wanted to start by asking you, Andy, what were you thinking when you saw that? We're going to talk about mentors today.
2: I appreciate that. And I guess it should be known. I'm out now, too. I'm an enormous nerd. This is also <laughs> true. I'll, I'll completely own it. And I love it. So, yeah, always have been. And, you know, the, you guys who can see me online right now. It's just which books am I reading, right? These are my business management and marketing books or entrepreneurship books. I have a whole nother set of books down in the the dungeons downstairs. So yeah, no, that's all good. You know, I went through the same thing too, Greg, in 2002 when I exited the bank, right? And so had the wonderful blessing of going through a great process that's a step-by-step approach to Understanding how important it is to build a network. And in that process, learned the incredibly eye opening exercise. And this was not what I was taught in college, which was to find all the companies in the world that you might work for and mail them all your resume with a cover letter and then see who responds. I thought that's how people got jobs. It is not. Over 70% of jobs come from somebody you know or somebody they know. It is about identifying, building, and nurturing a powerful and important network and uh, growing that network in meaningful ways by doing people favors, helping people throughout life as they ask because someday you'll reach back out to them and say, hey, I might need a hand with something and you want to get a great response. That's absolutely it. And it was like a V8 moment. So yeah, have worked very hard on building a network in the 31 business. We were a networking business, a a direct sales business and they they had a, a famous phrase back then. Which is that your network is your net worth, right? That it was literally who you know and being very intentional and purposeful about nurturing and just giving first, doing favors, always reaching out when people ask. And isn't that what you'd want, right? I mean, it's not absolutely the golden rule.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think that was what really struck me in that moment is so you reached out right away. And when I sent that out, I think you know we talked on the phone. If I'm remembering right, maybe a week or so, or a few days after I messaged you, and and you said, "Look, I will help as much as you need. If you wanna, if you wanna talk every week, we can talk every week. If you want help reviewing your resume, I'm happy to do that. If you want to need to point you into some directions of some books or some different ideas to push you, I'm happy to do that too." And it was just the openness and willingness to help in any way that you could that really stood out to me. And it's something that I've been thinking about and why I wanted to do this episode today on mentor ships is I think it's sort of something that gets forgotten about and it's really, really important. And I think there's probably the two sides. There's finding a mentor. So you can talk about that today. And then maybe also the other half is, how do you be a mentor or when should you? So, you know, you talk a little bit about this, but I'll let Natalie jump in with a few questions too. So go ahead, Natalie.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, that's, One of the important things that I've always tried to tell people is never pass up an opportunity to meet someone because you never know they could be working with you. You could eventually be working for them. It's always good to just never pass up that opportunity. You know, when you have an opportunity to meet someone, meet them. I think like you got to meet through Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, it's just, you know, the oddest things happen that bring, you know, people in your life. I don't believe there's accidents that way. Would, Would you agree with that?
2: Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, I, it's it reminds me too of that immature. I've got 16-year-old and a 20-year-old at home, right? And so that immature going up through school and that clickishness. of I don't want to have lunch with them and I don't, I don't want to go, you know, they invited me, but I, I think so-and-so is going to be there. And all these things that we all went through that we learned probably the wrong ways and because we wanted to fit in or we wanted to be cool. And so much more, especially once you get out into the work life and you kind of realize how little any of that social status matters and how much we're all in this together. We can only help each other, right? There's 7 billion people in the world. I'm only going to know a few thousand people if I'm lucky. Every single one of them can play a role and it doesn't matter what they do, where they're from, how they do it. It's kind of almost my duty to find that connection with the people that are in my life and find an opportunity in a way that I can help them. And if I have the blessing someday to get to work with them in a way or in a capacity that they can also give back, all the better.
1: Would you think that the social media networking is more effective or in-person networking, just from your experience?
2: Yeah, no, that's really, that's really Great. You're dating me a little bit with that question <laughs> before the time that there were social networks. And uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was, that was a very nice addition, I'll say to the network. I love, for example, today that I can keep in touch with the people at companies I used to work with much easier and see how things are going and stay in touch a little, be a little more accessible both to them and and vice versa to me. I love that my, my friends from college and high school, who I stay in touch with, right? That I can see their kids' graduations pictures or their kids getting married pictures now, stuff like that. That's That's really kind of magical that I definitely would not have had access to otherwise but that is not networking. That's keeping up with, right? Like that's the equivalent of our old like Christmas letters. If you ever did those again, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, here's everything that happened in a year and I'm not going to make it more than three paragraphs. So, you know, don't, don't, it's, don't be uh, too offended here. Right. And it was delightful to get those and read through them. And this is kind of like the replacement to that, and, and there are some channels and groups that you can join where you can go a little deeper and do it with intention, but they need to be very well curated. Those need to be a little more guarded, a little more intentional about who we invite and what our topics are and how do we make good use of that time, just like anything that we do with our time. I think it's all about it in-person, always has been and still is today. I just got back from lunch with one of my friends of 35 years And we're still very intentional and purposeful about being in touch, not all the time, once, maybe twice a year to just uh, keep up with each other.
0: I love the point you make about it being intentional, because I think that's I think the part that sometimes we miss. I think about my career where with the company I started with after college and they spent a lot of money in that in training us and that they flew us all to corporate. We spent two weeks in a hotel meeting every day to train. I think there were probably 30 people in my class that were being trained at the same time. And then we went back to our operating units in the different locations throughout the country that we were. I think there was only one in my office that was there with me. And everybody else was from anywhere from Seattle to New York to Texas. And it was interesting within about two years, I think there were four of us left. And I think by the time I took a promotion to Cincinnati, there was only me left. And I'm no longer with that company, and I look back at that and I think, "Wow, they spent so many resources to recruit me, find me, train me and I think the the part that maybe I missed out on or or that didn't happen is didn't really feel like I had somebody there who was mentoring me, and I didn't actually see where I was going to be in five years in ten years in fifteen years and I don't know that if that's what's happened to the others because I haven't kept up with them but I'm just curious on that, Andy, why don't we see more effective company mentoring programs?
2: Well, it's an interesting thing if you, I mean, okay, let me put my academic hat on for a second sure. as a nurse for a minute who studies these things and in the business and management space, right? If you think back to how businesses, and we're talking business strategy here, really did things as an industrial age, right? So from the 20s to the 60s, right, there was an enormous amount of investment in the training of people, right? And that was a given, right? Well, you hired people, right. you didn't hire skill sets, and you trained all the skill sets you needed, because that's what drove your economic engine. Well, thank you, Mr. Drucker, for introducing us all to the information age, right? And along came these white-collar workers, and so now the majority of our people in, in jobs today in U.S. economies and first world economies. Our information age folks and businesses have cut way back on that training, that development, and its intention. And and quite frankly, we've also seen this undercurrent, especially in the '80s, uh, with this a very high emphasis on kind of how are we doing this quarter? What is our our? How mm-hmm. do we make sure that every dollar we're investing is is directly returning a, a value? Right? That mentorship, that personal development, is a long-term play right? It's a long-term investment to see that payback. And so I think businesses, the, the meta environment of businesses is not to uh, build and support that. And I don't know that that's entirely wrong strategically. Uh, it just kind of mm-hmm. is what it is. It's where we are right now. But I think it's what's important is that we acknowledge that and take that ownership and find those needs, right? That's one of the great things about an entrepreneurial capitalistic economy like we're in is those needs will be met and fulfilled. I'll say for myself, right? At part of my move into entrepreneurship could not have even remotely been possible without incredible mentors and without incredible people along the journey to help support me in the in that direction. And I'll say I even am a part of and support not only through my teaching at Ohio State and want to be a mentor To those students. I also am a part of the Rotary, Columbus Rotary here in Columbus, Ohio. And to me, that is an organization that fills that need and that gap. That is absolutely people with this experience reaching out through endowments and scholarship programs and mentoring programs that we lead. I'm one of the co leads of the Veterans Mentoring Program, where we partner with Ohio State University and we mentor veterans who are attending Ohio State. So, There are opportunities out there to kind of help fill those needs. But I think there's an ownership right now on all of us to help identify and close those gaps. There are certainly a full bell curve. So some big companies that are seeing that and jumping in to fill that role based on that absence to differentiate themselves.
1: Now, if you don't mind me asking, how did you find your mentors when you were, because you said you had great mentors?
2: Yeah, I'm, I, you know. Proximity is king, yes. right? That yes. in person, of course, right? I can go through a litany of going back to my parents and mm-hmm. to my close family friends, you know, folks that were with us at the wedding, and along those lines, right? And just uh, incredibly blessed in those in those capacities, and then all the way up to the people who were my first boss, my first supervisor at the bank, and the first manager at the bank, and the first director at the bank who saw the potential in me and challenged me to go get my MBA and gave me incredible opportunity after incredible opportunity that I tried to just crush because, you know, they were giving me these opportunities that nobody else, I mean, I looked to my left and my right and nobody else was getting those. But when she gives me, you know, however many hundred thousand dollars to invest in trying to build something and we deliver more than 10 X back, I'm going to get the next opportunity. So, you know, it was things like that in the journey. And then what I'll say is 2002 happened. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. I went through this, Sudden aha, the and then it became very intentional about what. What is that old adage? They say that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That mm-hmm. uh, I have a long list of people that I connect with, and write the LinkedIn list that's out there. But but who I'm intentional about who I spend time with, and I'm intentional about setting up and reinvesting annually, quarterly monthly, even weekly to make sure that I'm investing in those mentor relationships and making space for the people who I mentor as well.
0: I love what you said about, you know, you're the combination of the five people you spend the most time with. I know when I moved to Ohio, this is kind of a funny story, but everybody on my team was really into working out which I'm not into at all. But like <laughs> on that team, I was like, man, I need to lose some weight here. Like, I'm feeling like I'm feeling a little heavy. And it's just amazing. Like you don't even, inter- and, I, and I did actually end up losing like 40 pounds. But part of it was I just spent time around these people. And I, I think we don't always realize we sort of by osmosis pick up the good habits and the bad habits. So I love how you said being intentional and being careful who we spend our time with, because we do end up kind of, taking on some of those characteristics over time. I, I wanted to ask you the question, and I think you talked about this a little, but what makes someone a good mentee? I don't even know if that's a word. It sounds like uh, something you have for a breath, a breath freshener, but what what makes somebody a good learner or someone who can actually be take, you know, take in some of that information and develop?
2: Yeah, no, it's a great question, Greg. So two things that I'm always I'm always energized by. One is an unbridled passion or enthusiasm right and that all the things that go with that that engagement that willingness to go the extra mile that willingness to reschedule to make it work that that willingness to put in the time to drive some impact from it right like that unbridled enthusiasm is just it's it's rare and it's just incredibly valuable and, and it it always sets me up to know that this is probably going to be really exciting. We'll have stories to tell. It may not go the way we thought, but we're going to have some stories to tell after this is done. And and the other one is really just tremendous potential. I was just talking to another client earlier today about how this new 24-year-old just joining the company, also a gamer, and right, all the potential in the world. right? And that's really so powerful that if they've got the right attitude, the right intellect the right capability to learn uh, so much in the information age we we all have access to information to resources to uh, abilities the question is what can you do with it right and are you willing to constantly put in the time and energy it's going to take to get better at this thing that is adding value and then understand why you're doing it and how it fits in the organization or the the relationship or whatever you're you're trying to help
1: improve That's great. And it is true. I mean, when you're around positive people, there's just something about that. Have you ever just been around a positive person and it just makes you smile the rest of the day? And it just, but same with negative. If you've been around someone negative, you feel drained. So I could see where that would be very important. You know, that attitude is everything. It really is. I mean, I think you can teach skill sets, but when you have someone who's just so positive, you know, I think you can do a lot with that.
2: That's what that's what it can do that's so great as a mentee. That's exactly right. And it makes me feel excited about what's going to happen. I'll say too, though, let me flip that for a second to the mentor side, that often when when we engage folks, and Greg, our relationship was like this when you engage with me, part of that journey for us as mentors is helping people back to that place. I've gone through this exercise with more than a few people that uh, when we're engaging, it's not the highest point in their career and life and their right. And so it is it is a tough and that's a, an important and key thing in the empathy that we can do in, in mentoring is acknowledging people where they are. Right. It's I'm excited by potential. I'm excited by enthusiasm and that talent, that capability and that attitude is going to take them a long way. But part of our role as a mentor is to help them level that. Right. It's also, it's not as low as the low seems when we're talking to them, right? When they've got the real need, but it's also not as high as the high seems when you've got your first offer in hand and you think that, oh my gosh, this is it. It's all over. And Greg knows this from our conversation. That's usually where the work really begins.
0: It is. And you know, something I I really think is important for our listeners to, to understand is when you are being mentored. Being open to feedback and listening to that feedback and being willing to try different things. So, for example, you know, I had spent a lot of time on my resume before I, you know, of course, I'm in a senior vice president role now. So, it, the end of the story is good. All the story continues, but <laughs> one of the things that when I spent all this time on the resume, I would sent it to Andy and he looked at it and we and he said, "Well, just tell me, like, tell me about your biggest accomplishments." And so we started talking about all the things that I'd done that was exciting at my former employer. Some of these new ideas we've done and big goals we achieved. And he looked, he listened, and then he said, you know, I don't see any of this on here. Why is that not the first thing I see when I look at your resume is the amazing things you accomplished? I thought, I don't know. And so, you know, we ended up going back to the drawing board and kind of rethinking how that looked. And I think it takes some willingness to be able to hear somebody else's constructive feedback that might not be everything you did is perfect. You know, have you thought about presenting it this way or have you thought about looking at it this way? So I think, you know, when, when we're in the either role, but especially when we're being mentored, I think being open, being open to feedback is really important. What are your thoughts on that, Andy?
2: Yeah, right, uh, right. If if you're asking me in a resume writing class to grade your resume, it would have been an A, right? I mean, you've checked right. every box, you did all the things, it's all in order, right? right? Of course. If you're asking me like a mentor, how do I get my next job? I hold up a piece of paper and say, "This is a 30-second introduction to you before I have the interview that's going to matter. Tell me your story." Yeah. Give me the thing that I want to ask you a question about, right? Totally different mentoring versus tactical what you need. And that's the that's to me the magic of of a good mentoring relationship is having someone who's been there they know how to, sometimes we call it see around the corners, right?
0: Mm-hmm. right?
2: I've been on the receiving side of doing all that hiring, right, and I'm sure you are too, Greg, but right. we just put in that seat at that time. We don't have that proximity, right? That it's like, yeah, this is the thing. I literally grab out of a stack of 10 in a row. I'm going back to back to back and I'm trying in a scan to get my, what are my two or three questions that I'm gonna add as flavor to my standard review that I'm gonna do with this great candidate.
0: Yeah, I I just think it's so important. And the other, the other piece of that, and that's, this is something that we did during that time was check ins, regular check ins. And Mm -hmm. I've been on the other side of that where I'm mentoring somebody. Why do you feel like those are important as far as, you know, having, having touch points when you're working with somebody?
2: When you look at communication and, and how good communication works over a long period of time. The thing that a lot of people overlook is that frequency of communication. We're talking about proximity. We're talking about networking and being in person. Frequency of communication actually ranks higher than anything else. And that is often missed, right? So we, you know, frustrated as it is, oh, we got to do our one-on-ones and our touch bases. And I I feel like I'm overscheduled. No, that's there for a reason. It's because we've proven that works. That is now you've got to be intentional about using that time effectively. Right. If you have that plan, that agenda, that frequency of communication is essential to effective communication. I couldn't agree more. I think that's huge. Natalie, what are your thoughts?
1: My thoughts on this is no, it is true because you're constantly reinforcing what you're going over. And I think that when you're constantly speaking with someone, you get very comfortable and you build that trust. I know with my team, we have daily check-ins because I want them to get in the habit of reaching out to me instead of, you know, it'd be a lot different, probably awkward if it was once a month. Right. I have no, I completely agree with that.
0: Natalie, one thing I'd add to what you just said is most of your team, actually none of your team members are actually physically in Las Vegas. Yeah. That's another thing is Natalie's not going to run into her team at the water cooler. Mm -hmm. And so if without some of those intentional checkpoints, you know, it's hard to build
1: relationships. Very true.
2: Intentional, being intentional, and having that time, that regular feedback. I love your comment about the habits. Now, that it's the it's the routines that become the habits. That is that that closest five people average, right? It's the thing sometimes we don't even realize that we're absorbing their language, their attitude, their right. It's it's how we shape opinions and beliefs together over time that helps us be able to row together and accomplish more together.
1: Oh, I really like that.
2: I agree.
0: You know, and I think the other piece of that, so the check-ins are important, but I think the other really important part of that is listening. And I remember uh, a time in my career, this has been probably eight years ago, and I've always felt like I'm a pretty good listener. And I had a 360 review where your peers review you, your direct reports review you, your boss reviews you, and you get all this feedback that's, you know, aggregated and scrubbed a little bit. So you don't know exactly where it all came from. But one of the themes I saw in there was like, well, I don't feel like he's a, he listens to me. And I thought, wow, how can that be? And, and so it was a really introspective moment for me because what I realized is that I was so busy doing so many different things. And I was hearing what people were saying, but they didn't feel like I was hearing what they were saying because I was doing things, whether that was rushing from thing to thing to thing or looking at my phone, having my laptop open, like I had not yet learned to pause and to shut some of those things down and really listen. And so, you know, Andy, if you could talk a little bit, like when it comes to being a mentor or being mentored, how how do you feel listening fits into that?
2: Wow. I mean, you mentioned earlier, Greg, it's certainly mission critical as a mentee, right? I mean, that's if this is really going to work, if we're going to add any value, right? I'm going to, you're going to come to me with a problem or a challenge or an opportunity. And I want to try and pull back ideally from my experiences and try and help say, this is what I've done in a similar situation. Here's people I could put you in contact with who might also have experiences. And if it, it's gotta be how do we find ways together to take my story to relate it to your situation? And it's it's really, I mean, not even right in that interaction, the story is a third of the the conversation, right? It's a third of it is just here's a story where I've had that that framing. So here's a third on how do we make that apply to your problem opportunity challenge? And then and then what are we doing, right? What what's your action plan now ultimately? It's your full listening, your full engagement in that. And, and for me, as a good mentor, it, the empathy comes in that I'm hearing that last part so that I can help hold you accountable to that, that when we check in, because we just talked about frequency and how important that check-in is, that I know what to ask about. Did you get that list built? You were going to contact those three people. How'd you do? Oh, it's Greg. You you didn't contact three. You contacted 30. Got it. Okay, I see how, I see how this is going to go. Check, check. I'm a little intense.
1: Do you think it's important to that when you're mentoring someone to see how your mentee learns? Because everyone's learning style is different. So, do you think that that is another factor in seeing how they, you know, obtain the information? Because everybody, you know, learns in a different way.
2: I, I'm a huge fan of learning styles, communication styles mm-hmm. and strength finders. So every time that I've been a leader with a department as a department head, I've made that a requirement for all of my direct reports. In one of the departments I did in the customer experience in the operations center, I had everybody in leadership, so you know, 25 or 30 people all go through strength finders and five five lo- uh, love languages and disc we used for our yes. th- different communication assessments. They're effective, right? They're not perfect tools, mm-hmm. but they're effective. I love how all, in all cases, they help you pay attention to and be intentional about the empathy of there's no right or wrong way. And just because someone communicates or learns different than me, that doesn't make it mine the right way and there's the wrong way. And, it's, uh, and then secondarily, it, it builds a set, a common set of language for us to use as a team to say, oh, that's right. This is how you learn. That's different than mm-hmm. wait let's let's reset that because what's more important is not that I said it once, it's that we've all taken the action or the step or the learning that we were looking for at this stage in our journey together so yeah hugely important and and a part of that and and when i I have a executive mentoring that I do as part of my consulting business and that's that's also a, a standard part and i I go beyond those and also into. Beliefs and values, uh, because I I also want to understand for the people who who are executives that I'm mentoring. I want to understand where their beliefs and value systems are coming from, so that they can tap into that for their leadership style as well. That's great, and I you
0: know we use some of those same tools in our company, and I think understanding how different people learn and process information and communicate really helps because sometimes some of the bigger problems are, are really just lack of understanding of, of people and, and not understanding where they've come from and why they're, why they're doing what they're doing. And then, I mean, I use the example all the time. My former boss, who's now our chairman, we had done the DISC assessment and he is a C. So for people who don't know what that means is he likes all the facts. He likes all the information. He likes to have time to process that information before he makes a decision. I am an I, a strong I, D. Which means I get excited about ideas, and I want to get results. So those two things are huge. So I could have this great, huge idea, and I know that if I showed up in this office so excited about this idea and ready to make decisions and move on, that was not going to work. And I learned, you know, what I needed to do is I would spell out all the reasons why this was a good idea, and and the way we would go about implementing it. Then I would send it to him and say, we're not going to meet for three days on this because I want to give you time to read through it all. And if you have questions before we meet, let me know and I can give you more information. And once I learned that, he would literally say, you know me so well, Greg, this is this is going to make our meeting go so well. And it, so it's just taking that time to understand how we learn, how we communicate it makes a big difference. One of the things you talked a little bit about, Andy, was goal setting in that. You know, when we talked, usually there were a few takeaways when we were on the phone about, you know, before we talk again, you know, if you could talk to three people each day or if you could look at, you know, there was a book, look into this book, you know, and let me know what your thoughts are as you're reading it. So we had different things that we would talk about. So there was some direction to the, the time that we spent together, because obviously your, your time is valuable. And for those who are mentoring, their time is valuable for people who might be listening. So, where's the importance of goal setting and problem solving in a mentor-mentee relationship? So, goal setting,
2: right, is is proven to work, right? If you if you're uh, old like me, all the way back to the old Franklin planner and time management, you had to write down every day the things you were going to do today, and the <laughs> the week, and what are your big rocks that need to get done this month or quarter, right? And traction leverages all this. This kind of line of thinking. It's there and it's out in the, in the metasphere because it works. It's proven. If the goal gets written down, it's multiples time more likely to occur or, or to happen. So understanding that, and it is that intention we keep talking about, understanding what it is we're really there to try to do, what we're trying to get accomplished, and then being able, like our Franklin planners taught us back in the nineties, to break those goals down into the manageable bite-sized chunks. What do I need to get done this week? And then what day do I think I'm blocking or time to do it? Because that's really, at the end of the day, what it all boils down to is we all only have 24 hours in the day. So it's how do we use that time to get the biggest, most important things accomplished? And so the goal setting allows us to be intentional. It allows us to, to work with purpose, right? And at that, by the way, that doesn't mean we don't still play games. It doesn't mean- right. we. Don't- Mm-hmm. enjoy each other's company or go go to lunch with a friend from 35 years, right? We that right. is also part of our purpose and part of our goals, but it is about creating the space and being able to do it in a way that I think is manageable, right? to, to make it palatable and not I don't know if about you guys, but I've been and I've been around people who feel like they're constantly overwhelmed, overworked, yes. working too late again tonight. I'm working this weekend. I've got all these things, right? There's times for that in our lives. There's seasons for that when it, it warrants it and deserves it. But at the end of the day, we set our agendas. We set our att- intentions. We control how we're going to choose to spend our time. And so pulling it back to that mentor-mentee relationship, Greg, I think it boils down to us kind of coming to an agreement, not unlike how we do on our touch bases and our one-on-ones with our teams what are we working on right now? What's our big rock, right, this quarter? Mm -hmm. And what do we need to do before the next time we meet in the next two weeks to make sure we've got some traction on that? I think
1: that's great. And back to that with the the time organization, because there are times that you are working a lot and you have to work, you know, to get it done, you have to work on evenings or weekends. But I remember early when I had first started in insurance someone had told me when you have these big tasks and when you accomplish them and you finally get through that do something small it could be something small but reward yourself if it means going to a movie with a friend or you know meeting for Starbucks with them you know a coffee but you know reward yourself give yourself a little treat to get you know afterwards don't overwhelm yourself by trying to make time with friends when you're in the middle of a big project do it right after have like a celebration and that's how you can plan it and get through it.
2: There's a great book written by a guy named James Clear called Atomic Habits. It's been one of the uh, top selling business books recently. James is from Columbus, Ohio, uh, Dublin. And I I got to see him speak the other night at the bookstore in Bexley. Terrific. And he talks about exactly this, right? We talk about how our routines become our habits becomes our success. And that's that's what that boils down to. And he talks about the The cheat codes, more or less, the hacks, the life Mm -hmm. hacks that allow us to get more done, that allow effective people to get more things done. And that reward, that reward system, absolutely a part of that. And it's a great, it's a great read for other great tips of how do we become more effective with the time that we do have and have healthier, more impactful habits. Great points.
0: So Andy, if I'm if I'm a
2: leader in a company listening
0: to this right now and I'm thinking, okay. I, I for sure could need some more mentoring going on in my company. What could I do or what would be some steps to either foster that, whether that's a program or whether that's just fostering a culture where that's organic? What could I do if I'm listening to this today as a takeaway to maybe take the next steps to have more of that going on in my, my work
2: environment? Bet. Let me answer in three levels, okay? So on the first and most basic level is, lean in towards action. We can do something, we can do anything. What's one thing we could do before the next week? And that is even identify someone as a potential mentor, set up a meeting, or a, a, identify someone as a potential money and set up a potential meeting, right? Immediately do something. Something is better than nothing, always. Secondly, as a corporate organization, right? In our financial services backgrounds, what I would say is I have seen terrific success with what we've we've set up in the past that, that we called career pathing. So it is understanding where people start in our in our careers at our organization and understanding what are some example paths that we've seen people take up into leadership, up into quality, up into administration and office, back office support, out into the field, right? What were those paths that they took? And then how do we help equip them ahead of that path? How do we? How, what were the things that they were able to navigate and find on their own, and how could we help? Be intentional about putting more opportunities like that in front of people with those high potential for mm-hmm. those opportunities, right? So it's it's pathing. So we're working on defining through our uh, career advancement programs and our uh, annual review programs who the people are with high potential, and we're working to create probably things that are already there, but we're just being intentional about setting up the paths, the books, the classes, the Uh, programs and then, and, and then the kind of the tail end of that, of course, is those folks that we identified that went on those paths would be great mentors, right? They can, they've been around the the block and they can see it, things that, that those folks who are just starting out wouldn't have. And so connect, connecting them from that initial diagnosis to being a part of that partnership working together is tremendously powerful. I've seen that work in multiple organizations. The third tier and, and the one that I engage with, which is where my executive mentoring comes in, is I think it's really valuable for the top-level leaders and organizations to have objective third-party mentors uh, by design who have no agenda, right? So if you're in that executive level or entrepreneurial business uh, ownership role, it is everybody in your organization's got an agenda, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. That agenda is about promoting their business and their welfare and their success, but understanding that it is incredibly valuable to have mentors. And even so you can use folks like me who are third-party consultants or uh, put together advisory boards, right? So you could have multiple skill sets from legal to accounting to business to marketing. What what are the needs of your business? Put together that advisory board. It's a great place to start so that you've got a regular consistent frequency feedback loop that you're getting great third party been there before solutions and ideas. No, I think that's,
0: that's a real, those are some really great steps. And, you know, I, I like what you said about identifying those people who have that upward mobility and, and giving them those opportunities. You now I'll embarrass Natalie for a minute, but she was our, she was our senior adjuster for a while. And I know she wanted to be a manager and So we at HR had said to me, you know, we've got our new our new manager training going on in the company. And I said, well, I have somebody who's not a manager and we don't have an opportunity for a manager. But is it okay if I send her anyway? Because I think this would be great for her. And so being open to those ideas and then later when those opportunities present themselves, those people are better prepared and already spent. That's right. So sometimes those things come across our path. And if we we think about it for a minute, there might be somebody else who can benefit. That, that may not be immediately the person you would think needs to go to that class or that training. So I like what you said. there,
1: And I'm always glad that I got to go. I'm very grateful because I really think that it did help with a lot of the preparation, you know, that came when the opportunity came, you know, you have that preparation. So I was very grateful for that.
2: Well, let me, let me flip the script a little bit too. And we're talking a lot right now about DEI opportunities, right? And we don't mm-hmm. have enough, Persons of color in leadership positions. We don't have enough women in position, leadership positions. It just doubles down the need and the, uh, the opportunity, the investment for us to make to create those opportunities, right? Because not everybody has those matters, because not everybody has that career path. How can we be intentional about setting more people up for success and help us achieve not only another level of great management, another l- level of great advancement in our careers, but also ones that achieve our uh, diversity, equity, inclusion objectives. I think you you are spot on. And and the financial
0: sector is one of those sectors that has some work to do. So amen. great, great, great points. Well, one of the things that I wanted to, to touch on that I think I wanted just to get out there is there may be somebody listening who's thinking, well, I really want a mentor. I don't have a mentor. How do I find one? And I guess the one thing I would say, and then I'm interested in both of your takes on this is sometimes it's just asking, you know, like when I ran into Andy, okay, at that point, I was reaching out to everybody, because I thought, you know what, and you know, when you lose your job, that's embarrassing. Uh, Even if it's not your fault. It's not like the favorite time you want to touch base with somebody. right? But even if you're not in that position, and you're in a different position, it's sometimes scary to reach out to people and say, hey, like I really would love to learn from you. Would you be willing to teach me or would you willing to be some spend some time with me? But I think that that's probably the first step is just having the courage to reach out to people and get outside your comfort zone. And don't be afraid. If you see somebody you're really impressed with or you see somebody you think you could learn from or who could help you, just to ask. And I know for me, I don't like to ask for help. So that's hard for me because I'm very independent and I like to do things and I like to feel like I'm in control and I don't need any help. We all need help. And so opening ourselves up and asking, I think maybe would be my advice. Andy, what's your advice on finding a mentor?
2: I'm a big fan of Silicon Valley mentor, a guy named Jerry Colonna, and he's got a phrase, give first, right? So always try to give first. And this is true for mentors and mentees. Great. So if you're reaching out, reach out in a way to meaningfully help somebody, right? Mm -hmm. People who are your potential mentors need help too. And there's lots of ways that you can help them or up to and including reaching out and asking how you could help. I'll say with regards to your and my connection, Greg, you didn't just reach out and it wasn't an act of desperation. You had a specific problem you were trying to solve. And you're looking for feedback, like the more specific you can get, the more likely I'm going to be able to lean in and help out or self-diagnose and say, that is a real problem or a real opportunity. I'm not your guy, but let me see if I can put you into contact with someone who could help you, right? The toughest ask that I get is, hey, I think I would like to have you as a mentor. What? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. Wow. Where, are yeah. Where are we starting? is it because of because it's Fridays? Mm-hmm. Is it a Friday thing? What, what's the That's a great point.
0: being specifics important and you know knowing what you're asking for mm-hmm. really helps. and I think that would be a, another great takeaway. And, and I love how you said giving Giving is important and I think that's the other thing is if you want somebody now I've learned this just as a life lesson if you want somebody to help you, Help lots of people. And it just comes back around. I don't know why that is. It's just one of those things that when you do good and you help other people, eventually it comes back around. So I I love how you said that is just be giving because if you're willing to reach out and help others, that help will come too when you when you need it. Andy, one of the things I wanted to finish this season with last season I had everybody share their happiest moment. I feel like there's a lot of negativity in the world in general, whether that's Politically divided people, or the COVID, or the economy—there's just a lot of things that bring people down. So this season, what I wanted to do is have each person share what is your favorite part of what you do each day. Like, what, what's, what's, what gets you excited about what you do every day? And so, Andy, I wanted to throw that to you, and so we can put some good vibes out in the universe.
2: All good. So. The thing that I wake up early for, I wake up every day, no alarm clock and have for several years, pretty much since I've been consulting. And I I feel very blessed to get to do this, the teaching and consulting. And the thing that gets me up is to know I'm going to be in front of a room or in front of a microphone and have an opportunity to have an audience and have an impact. And I, I get so excited about it. I just wake up, no alarm, and my mind is immediately racing. I'm already there. It's like I'm half dreaming and half awake. And then it's like dreaming when I'm out there and getting to share my story or share uh, things in a classroom or facilitate a great strategic planning retreat or uh, an initiatives workshop, right? It is just a real blessing. That's what, what gets me so excited. And then the thing that I know that fills my cup because that's an enormous drain of energy. It takes an enormous amount for me. <laughs> The thing that fills my cup is this all this nerdy reading that I get to do, right? to <laughs> Fill that cup back up and reading the Wall Street Journal every day. And I read from books every day and I read about 20 or 30 magazines. I love the opportunity to read and learn and bring that in and make it a part of what I get to share with folks, with classrooms and with the uh, uh, folks that I have the pleasure to advise.
0: I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. I I think hearing people's passions is always exciting and uh, I know that you're doing a a lot of good. I wanted to just for sure thank you Andy. I you know, I appreciate all the help that you gave me personally and consider you a friend, but also appreciate you taking the time to share some of your thoughts on this. I think mentors and mentorships are so important and I hope some people listen to this and got a few ideas that they can take away. I always say when I read a book or, or listen to a podcast, I'm always looking for that one or two things that I can take away and try to try to implement. So hopefully we have a couple of those today for people. And just want to remind people of our motto to do right, think differently, and don't forget to care. And that's it for this episode of Adjusted. We hope you'll follow us in future episodes that release every two weeks. And, of course, if you want to catch our blog on the off weeks, Natalie Dangles provides that for us. Well, thanks again, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody.